Hey, what's going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario. Welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. For those who do not know, this is a podcast I do here in two different forms. First of all, it is available in a video visual form here in the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey channels. If you're wanting something more visual, get some more show and tell, things that will actually show on screen, such as articles and such, then it helps out for that. But I did say this is a podcast, so if you want to actually take it around and listen to it wherever the hell you want to, like an actual podcast, you can simply look up ModChat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app, host, site, or provider, and you should hopefully be able to find it. I know it's not available on all of them, but it's available on most of them. Either way, as I said, this is a podcast here, and I do it at least monthly here, but this is where I talk about new things that I find interesting, cool, I guess some news stories in the world of video game mods, video game console modding, all that fun stuff that I just want to talk about, share with you all, and discuss a little bit. This is not necessarily a news show per se, but some people do take it as their news. Uh, but I will say here, this episode will probably be a little bit of a shorter one. Actually, I, I know it's going to be uh, because there were only a few topics that I was really seeing and I wanted to cover here. But, you know, if there's going to be anything bigger, then maybe we'll have to squeeze out another episode this month. So let's go ahead and just get right into this here. We do have some cool stuff, including some... Uh, good high frame rate things right here that we're going to be talking about. So one of our quick little developments here, we have this from Matthew LH, which this is directly related to Baryon Sweeper, which in case you do not know, I've talked about it a few times here on this show. And that is essentially the newer version of the Pandora's battery where you're able to get a old PSP into service mode and you can completely essentially reflash it, reformat it so you can really fully unbrick a fully bricked PSP. The nice thing with Baryon Sweeper is that they are working, several developers are working on getting it working for every single model of the PSP, including the Go and the Street. Well, Matthew LH here has said on Twitter, if anyone cares about or needs a PSP Go jig for whatever reason, I designed little PCBs you can order from your favorite fab to make things a little easier for you. You will still need a PSP in 340 cradle or a compatible cable slash connector. Because for those who don't know, the PSP Go, it has a fully internal battery. You can't just do like a, um, a jig kick battery on there, so to speak. You do have to do some modifications. So he does have this linked over on his GitHub page, which we can check out here. And as you can see from this, this is the PSP Go jig. PCBs designed to build a PSP Go jig, THT design, to use with through-hole components. And we have a couple of pictures right here. Here's one of them. SMD0805 nano design meant to be small enough to fit inside the PSP N340 cradle because yeah from what I've seen on here just from like a few photos I've seen if you're doing this on the PSP go uh, you will either need a specific cable to be modified for this or you'll need to get a hold of the cradle which is essentially like it's like a precursor to the dock like the way we think of like the Nintendo Switch dock the PSP go had one of those for the PSP go itself the cradle uh, do keep in mind it is a little hard to find it is pricey as well too i actually thankfully got one thanks to a friend of mine who had gone to japan but i think they're like at least 100 us dollars at this point uh but either way if you want uh you can go ahead and get these fabricated uh build them up and install them if you want to so you can get your psp go or really any other psp go into uh, jig kick mode so you can unbrick it with barium sweeper uh, that's a really awesome little development to see something else that is not released yet but is certainly being teased so far is from developer web hdx saying i'm also demoing a wavebird receiver prototype for the first time and right here we have a GameCube, it seems like over at a convention. Uh, it is running a game right here, but you see there is a couple of GameCube controllers, but then you have this wave 
bird controller right here, but you don't have a wave bird receiver. You end up having this little custom made one right here. So that would be really cool. Uh, for anybody who does not know, the GameCube WaveBird controllers were uh, more expensive when they came out, of course, because really, to my knowledge, they were the first, like, good wireless controllers for game consoles, and they were even first party. They are official Nintendo-made ones. Uh, so they've been sought after for years. Like, even I remember when I worked at a game shop years ago, this is after the GameCube's Prime, uh, one of my friends was saying, hey, dude, any GameCube, like, any WaveBirds you get in, please buy them up for me. I'll pay you back and just bring them over to my place. And I think I got one or two for him there. Uh, either way, because of little controllers like this, it's more common to find the WaveBird controller as opposed to the actual receiver itself. Typically, they end up getting unpaired from each other. And I don't mean like software-wise. I mean like literally somebody will sell a GameCube with the receiver attached and there's no controller with it, or they sell con the controller separately, they donate it, they lo lose it, what have you. Uh, so I, I, this is not going to be by any means a way of manufacturing new WaveBird controllers, mind you, uh, but if this is a way to be able to find some of them that you might find at a thrift shop or eBay or what have you, and actually use them with a somewhat like homebrew design here, that is really awesome. I actually think I even have in my possession, I think I have one or two WaveBird controllers, and I don't have the receivers because I found the controllers at a thrift store for a few dollars and I picked them up, but you know, they're completely useless if you don't have that receiver. So that's the important part. Kind of similar to like, actually you see it right here, like how it used to be for a while, the Game Boy Player without the disc, you really needed the disc, but if you bought it without the disc, the Game Boy Player was like, I don't know, five, 10 bucks. It was pretty useless because you can't use it without that disc unless you mod the system. Uh, either way, kind of trailing off here a bit, I thought this tease was really awesome and wanted to share it. Another really cool mention here, this is over from wololo.net, and this is stating that 120 frames per second PS4 games is now a possibility on PS5. We've seen this with several games that have gotten uh, 60 frame per second patches for both the PS4 and the PS5, but on the PS5 itself, uh, using, uh, I think, Lib Hijacker, it was uh, Illusion's fork of it, because essentially you run the Lib Hijacker, and then you're able to use that to patch certain games, such as the Order 1886, Bloodborne, to really get them to that beautiful, silky smooth 60 frames per second. Thing is, though, we do know that the PS5 is capable of higher refresh rates, as long as it is hooked up to a compatible screen. So right here, it looks like we actually have a screenshot of Bloodborne, and it is running. It's a PS4 game running on the PS5. Of course, they did have to bring it down to 720p, it seems, but this is running at, it's targeting 120 frames per second, which originally, remember, this game was running at 30 frames per second, and this game is infamously known for not only its difficulty, but also the, uh, not great frame pacing on this as well. So people have been begging for a patch for this for multiple reasons, not only the frame rate, but even the frame pacing. Uh, getting into this though, they do say in this article, PS4, PS5 hacker and modding deity Illusion has stated today that 120 frames per second is now achievable on some PS4 titles on hacked PS5s. This follows earlier breakthroughs to get PS4 games running at 60 frames per second on the PS5. The hacker hasn't released those 120 frames per second patches yet, so we'll have to be patient on that front. Patient here meaning click like a madman on the refresh button of your browser on this particular issue. We'll actually check that out here. Uh, although no video is available yet to show the results, Illusion has shared screenshots with FPS counters for Gravity Rush 2 and of course Bloodborne showing 96 frames per second and 
they say 11 frames per second here respectively i think they mean like 113 uh either way uh lib hijacker and ps5 runtime mods so just getting into this here they are restating that lib hijacker is a mechanism to run separate processes homebrew on the ps5 escaping the initially hacked process either the webkit or bdjb this means among other things that exiting the original webkit blu-ray player process doesn't close the exploit anymore so running a game official or homebrew while still being in a hacked context is now doable. In other words, this means things such as running a homebrew or in this case modding a game at runtime is now a possibility. Think patches, cheats, 60 frames per second mods, and the like. Now they've talked about these 60 frames per second support on PS4 games, which we've discussed in previous episodes, but it's stating here 120 frames per second on the other hand might have some downside, which we'll learn about as the hacker makes progress. As much as we'd love to say the original developers are too lazy to support higher frame rates on their games, the reality is that 60 frames per second, let alone 120 frames per second, requires additional QA and optimization. In the context of a homebrew release though, we can choose to accept the tiny issues this might or might not, if we're lucky, come with. Uh, so right here, there is the other screenshot from uh, Gravity Rush 2 itself. Again, no video yet, we just have this right here. Uh, of course, the 60 frames per second patches are available, but the 120 frames per second mods are not released yet. And there is some, uh, you know, setup here showing how you can do it. Although, again, do keep in mind, if you're going to be doing this here, you really need to have a TV or a monitor hooked up to your PS5, which does support that higher fresh rate mode. Uh, so we can go ahead, I was going to come back to this, we're going to check out this uh, lib hijacker issue right here. Uh, 120 frames per second output for PS4, PS5 apps, and Illusion just says opening just so I don't forget. So yeah, keep checking this here, keep checking lib hijacker. Some good news for people with lower firmware PS5s, you see when it comes to these modifications and just really any type of exploiting of game consoles in general, uh, typically the rule of thumb is uh, stay on a low firmware and the lower firmware the better. Uh, if you can even uh, afford and have the ability to get two consoles, that's what you should do. Uh, keep one console uh, preferably boxed offline on a low firmware and have the other console keep it online and play it and enjoy it so you actually have one to play around with. But then when you want to get into the exploit hacky type stuff, you have another console on a low firmware that you can mess around with. Uh, well, 04.03 or 4.03 for the PS5 has seemed to be a pretty good firmware that's been targeted, uh, but... As opposed to updating that, some people have been staying on a lower firmware, which has been 4.00. Uh, well, good news here is that the WebKit and kernel exploits are finally compatible with that slightly lower firmware, firmware 4.00, it seems. Uh, getting into this again from Wololo here, they state, Until now, 4.00 has been the black sheep of PS5 exploitable firmwares. Being the only one between 3.00 and 4.51 that wasn't working correctly with the WebKit variant of the PS5 jailbreak. The reason was that the proper location of critical kernel functions, which people often refer to as the offsets, wasn't known for that firmware. This changed today with 4.00 getting the proper support. SpectreDev has updated the repository of the exploit today to add proper support for firmware 4.00. Finding the offsets used to be a formality on PS4, but for PS5, things have been made difficult since the kernel memory.txt is execute only and cannot be read. The offsets can theoretically be found through brute forcing, but in this case, I believe that Spectre has finally been able to find the missing offsets thanks to his recent breakthrough that allows to decrypt SPRX and self files. My guess, I'm assuming the required SPRX files were copied to another exploitable firmware, decrypted, and then it was possible to manually find the offsets in the decrypted file. 
As it turns out, the offsets for 4.00 are, unsurprisingly, very familiar to 4.02 and 4.03. However, the gadget map required to execute the early stages of the exploit chain, the ROP chain here, uh, is significantly different. There was no way 4.00 was going to work without these changes. Um, so there you go, some little news right there for anybody who is holding out on that 4.00 firmware, or you get a PS5 on firmware 4.00. Uh, yeah, you can. You don't have to update to a higher firmware to use this, so that's nice. We got something here that ended up just kind of coming out of nowhere. This is from uh, Kuriyasu, I believe that's how we're going to say their username here. And this is a good write-up over on their GitHub page called An Autopsy of Artifice. Now, the summary here is this is a custom tool designed to autonomously achieve privilege escalation for Xbox One developer mode. Uh, so I don't really cover Xbox One on here all that much. Uh, because it's pretty darn secure, I really don't cover develop mode, developer mode on here either. Uh, but there's a custom tool that can give us priv privilege escalation, which is a big step here uh, in terms of exploitation and such. Uh, so I do just want to check out this custom tool real quick. I haven't gotten to try this yet, but this is Artifice. It does look like it's a really clean, well-designed tool right here. They do say this is a custom tool designed to achieve privilege escalation autonomously for Xbox One developer mode. You can, of course, learn more about the project over on the GitHub IO page that we're going to be looking at here. Uh, there is a wiki available where you can check out the Xbox Research wiki. Uh, but right here, you can see it pretty much works through everything. And this also breaks down how exactly it works. But essentially, you need to get this connected to your Xbox, which is running developer mode. And it goes through this exact process of doing the uh, WDP SMB prep, copying SSH keys, converting creating keys, doing a UWP deployment, creating the SSH folder, the auth keys drop, SSH drop, SSH cycle, invoking AKC, and then finally this is complete. So you're able to get privilege escalation on there. Uh, going back over to the write-up here, uh, they do a really great job explaining all of this here, just like breaking down every single step. So it is really worth just giving it a quick read and seeing what all it does, because it's just cool to kind of get this curtain behind the scenes here. Uh, but in short, I mean, even if we go to the end, what is this able to accomplish here once we actually complete it? Well, they say you now have an active administrator user. Now what? Here's a few examples for things you can poke at. You can disable the numerous services for telemetry, which they highly recommend. You can probably poke around with PWSH, highly recommend NT Object Manager. You can run your own elevated software. You can explore and modify the registry remotely. You can dump your flash. You can manually load kernel drivers such as KS Dumper for the Drango here. Create your own overlay XVD for system OS with some caveats. And finally, another example is you get debug user mode with debug serve and win debug. So you can avoid firewall issues here with Clycon if you want to use that. Uh, so this is cool overall. Like, are we going to get everything, like all the doors blown off on this? Uh, certainly not yet at this point. But I mean, you all can even see right here, even just like at minimum, being able to dump the system flash from here. Uh, only using software is pretty big because that was something that wasn't able to be done before here. So really cool to see overall. Finally, at the end of these episodes, I like to cover something cool, funny, interesting, just what have you in the world of modding or that the modding world can appreciate. Uh, well, at the beginning of this month, a uh, YouTuber, Vadim M, actually ended up 
putting up a pretty good video, which I still need to finish it, admittedly, but a pretty good video covering the anti-piracy measures in Manhunt. And for anyone who does not know, in short, Manhunt being sold digitally on Steam has just been broken for years, like I think like dang near 10 years at this point. Uh, and it's not because it's a bad port, it's because of anti-piracy measures that are actually being flagged and enabled on the digital version of the game that you've legitimately purchased. Uh, so Silent ended up uh, quote tweeting this here from Vadim, and he said, this is not even funny anymore. This game is sold on Steam in this state. Uh, now I can't help but wonder, could Midnight Club 2 be affected too? As far as I know, it has no known breakages like this, and the saving softlock is a legitimate game bug. And then he said, oh, for Christ's sake... And this was funny here. Uh, there is a executable in the Midnight Club 2 folder if you purchase it and download it on Steam, and it's called testapp.exe. Now, that this doesn't seem to be the actual Midnight Club 2 executable that you run and play the game with, but this is a cracked executable. Like, so <laughs> Rockstar, for whatever reason, they packaged and redistributed and technically sold a cracked no-CD executable of Midnight Club 2 with the official Midnight Club 2 release. Uh, so that was just really funny to see here. Uh, he does continue on saying, this explains the myth of the retail Midnight Club 2 crashing on Vista. The game is most likely innocent as the demo works great out of the box. It was again the crack breaking it. So interesting here they say, yeah, key point, non-Steam versions may crash on launch on Windows Vista or later for workaround C game crashes on launch non-Steam versions. This gets better. Razor's crack is fine. The reason both Midnight Club 2 and Manhunt crashed when these cracks were in use was the fact that Steam DRM included a dot .bind section that was code not marked as code, thus tripping data execution prevention. Okay, so I guess it technically is used then. <laughs> Only Midnight Club 2. Manhunt has more issues indeed, dot .bind section being just one of them. Midnight Club 2, on the other hand, works fine. A retail no CD works fine without any changes. So does a Steam test app with Steamless applied. Interesting here. Okay. Even another thing that's worth pointing out, someone did ask, wow, how does a crack end up in the Steam build? And Silent ended up saying here, watch the last about 10 minutes of this. The video mentions Max Payne 2 and Manhunt, but it made me check Midnight Club 2, and it's like you can see. So I'm not going to spoil that there. It's about an hour long uh, for that video, uh, but really good if you're interested in just, you know, uh, not only the GTA content that Vadim has done, but just Manhunt in general, Rockstar Games in general, and kind of just peeking behind the curtain. It's really cool to see some stuff like this. Uh, and of course, I guess, a greet to Razor 1911 here. So there we go. That is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. I hope you all enjoyed watching. I hope you all enjoyed listening. I hope you all enjoyed learning and checking out some new things here in the world of modding. So typically at the end of these episodes, I like to pick a keyword or a key phrase. And if you use that keyword or key phrase in a comment on the video upload, I know that you've made it to the end. And, you know, I did want to say I also changed my attire out a little bit just because uh, we're getting into spooky season here pretty soon. We're getting into fall. The weather, at least over here, is getting nice and cool. So how about, you know, how about fall? Let's use this fall. Do you like fall? Do you hate fall? Uh, did you take a big fall and you end up getting injured and that might be how you broke or fractured your first bone? Um, did you read Halo The Fall of Reach, that one book that came out? I think that was that was actually the book that Halo Reach was based off of. But either way, use the word fall in your comments on the video upload here and I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode while Lily just 
Yeah, we're talking about you, Lily. You're just going to be, like, licking in the corner. That's what you're going to do. Either way, that's about it for this episode here of Mod Chat. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, a like would absolutely be appreciated. But if you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well, too. But with that being said, that's about all there is to this episode. Again, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching. And until next time.